Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. There's a theme going on in these, in these worship songs that you've been hearing this morning, and I love it. Let me say for a moment, I'm just going to have to take a breath. I am very privileged to be up here in the pulpit of the church that I've been raised in for these many years, and I'm grateful to be here. It's an honor and privilege. So I'm thankful to that. All those people who have pushed me along the way <laughs> to here where I am today. I'm so, when I was younger, I was so thankful that I didn't have the calling on my life to work for a church, <laughs> to be some sort of pastor or leader. But <laughs> sometimes callings come a little bit later in life, and that's okay. So let's start with some prayer. And we get to the word, Lord, Lord God, we thank you for your word and these verses in 2 Kings that give us insight on how we might live. I ask that your word speak forth and touch the hearts of those here. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who have been following along with our Bible in one year, you are more than halfway done. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Keep it up. And for those who haven't, just jump right in. It's all right. Jump in this week and move forward with the, along with the rest of us. And if you've started to get off track and maybe you got lost somewhere along in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, <laughs> ah, you've been there. I hear it. Jump right back on in. Because this is not a thing that we're to do one time and done. Get back in and keep going. Because if we, if, because it's an important aspect of the Christian life, reading and studying the message to us from our Creator. This is because if you don't spend time reading the Bible, as a whole, you won't see the big picture of who God is and the repetitive patterns God uses to get his message across. Themes like love and blessings and cursings and the things that we need to know and learn when it comes to life. And you also would miss the repetitive patterns that God weaves into it, like the pattern of parallels. And the parallel is just an idea that there's one character in the Bible who exhibits traits that are later displayed in other characters later in history. So like the parallel slide that we have here, the, this week's reading from 2 Kings, Elijah and Elisha have some parallel characters who 800 years later came along. You may have heard of them. John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Even Jesus compares John to Elijah in Matthew 11, and he said, he, John, is the Elijah who was to come. And when it comes to Elisha, 
Like Jesus, Elisha ministered to the Gentiles or the non-Jews, along with the Jewish people. Elisha healed lepers, those with skin diseases, just like Jesus. Elisha performed miracles involving water, just like Jesus. Elisha raised the dead, just like Jesus. Elisha multiplied food, just like Jesus. Elisha's ministry benefited the low and the humble, and he brought down the proud. And Elisha also mediate judgment, and he brought down prophetic curses just like Jesus. Even their names, Elisha and Jesus, both mean God saves. So let's allow today's reading to start to cast a foreshadow of Jesus in the Old Testament and then see where it takes us, okay? Both Elijah and Elisha ministered in the land of Israel after the kingdom split 950 BC. And there was a breakdown in leadership that started with King Rehoboam's poor leadership that Reverend Barry talked about last week. King Rehoboam's poor decisions led to no small disagreement about who should be king after King Solomon died. Judah in the south and Israel to the north. And to this point, the people of Israel had been led astray and were far from God. And most of that was because of the king. But there's always a remnant. And a remnant, which just means that there's groups of people who continue to follow the ways of the Lord in spite of the culture. Sounds like foreshadowing of 2018, doesn't it? So that brings us to 2 Kings 2, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. This was part of our reading for this week, in case you weren't sure. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. So apparently she cooked a good meal, right? She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So this just might be the very first episode of Fixer Upper Old Testament Edition. <laughs> you know, the one on HDTV with that cute couple, Chip and Go Joanna Gaines, right? I can see it now. She's sitting down with Mrs. Shunem. You have a little bit of money left in your budget. What about we can do some marble tile floor or some stately pillars in the corners or maybe even a picture window facing the west? And then, of course, Chip sends, has to send a scroll to Mr. Shunem, and he says, I'm sorry, we found some termites. It's going to cost another 10,000 shekels, right? Just to create a little bit of drama in the remodel. And if you've ever remodeled anything in your home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But while we're paused here to have a little bit of fun, I want to take a moment to speak directly to you. As the director of family ministries here at Bethesda, I am responsible for occasional fundraisers and a budget. And believe me, I don't take that responsibility lightly. I've witnessed firsthand your generosity and what we do across all the ages and grades in the family ministry and really this entire church for that matter, 
would not be possible without your willingness to give. So to you, like the Shunammite woman who saw need, spoke up, and then offered the resources to meet that need, thank you. And finally, before we move on, something interesting to note. The Hebrew word used here for chair or stool in some translations is the same word that's used for throne throughout the Old Testament. So the money and the items that the Shunammite woman put in her, this little addition for Elisha to rest in, was uh, top-notch. So with that in mind, let's continue. And I can see, as we read this next verse, Elisha, as he comes and he lays down in his room, uh, a, a smile kind of form on his face. And see if you can see it. I, I just, it, I picture it in my mind. I know it's not here, but I just have a feeling that he probably smi- cracked a smile. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. Can you see it? So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. What can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. Somebody say, I am happy with what I have. (laughs) I knew it. Say, and then now try saying, I'm happy with that, what I have, and mean it. <laughs> that was a little bit, that was even worse. <laughs> it's funny because this saying right here that she says is, is a sort of uh, idiom or common phrase of the day, which means I'm content. Uh, or the MRS translation, that's the Mr. Rob Susan translation would read, as it says on your bulletins, life is good. And it might be easy for us to say, looking at that, well, of course, she says that, life is good. I mean, her home was just featured on the cover of OTHGTV magazine. And she's a well-to-do woman, and as you're going to see in a minute, she's got servants. I mean, I'm pretty sure anybody could say, I have a home among my people, um, when you got servants, right? But let's keep on reading and see if it truly was something easy for her to say. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and, he, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had said to her, told her, Now pause. What a promise. What a miracle. Truly a blessing. A blessing to the woman who was a blessing to a man of God. 
But just so we don't miss a couple of things here, let's pause for a moment and, and connect and I try and identify with what we just read and the woman from Shunem. First, Gehazi rightly observed that her future care was in question. When her husband died, she will have no children to care for her in her old age. And what's more, there will be no one to pass on an inheritance. This, both of these things were a pro- real problem because of the lack of a male family representative in that culture made life difficult for a woman. And second, when she responded to Elisha, she wasn't rejecting the gift of a son, nor did she believe that Elisha wasn't capable of delivering what he promised. Instead, her response in verse 16 was coming from a place of deep disappointment. It was a longing that likely originated decades earlier. Perhaps she prayed and she prayed, maybe Maybe she looked to the story of Hannah at the temple and her eventual son as encouragement and inspiration, but her hopes were never realized to that point in her life anyway. But despite that social stigma, childlessness carried in that culture, and despite the uncertainty of who would care for her in her old age, she resolved to say, I am content with whatever God has decided. How do I know that? Verse 9, remember, I have a home among my own people. Maybe you're still a skeptic, or maybe it's striking a chord with you, this whole idea. Maybe was it a child you never held, love you never received, in a sense you were robbed of, security you longed for but never felt, success you never achieved, It was always right outside, right beyond your grasp. And you, but you, like the Shunammite, eventually brought yourself to say, I am content with whatever God has decided. I am happy with what I have. Life is good. Or maybe, maybe you've never resolved it. You never could bring yourself to say anything even remotely close to, I'm happy with what I have. Hang in there. There's hope for you. We'll get there. But for now, let's keep on reading and see a great example of literary whiplash. I'm going to start back with verse 17. But the woman became pregnant in the next year. About that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. He went up, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. Maybe this has happened to you, but I couldn't imagine such a thing. The closest I've been was when our daughter was very young, two or three years old, and she needed to have an MRI for some test. And we brought her into the room and got her ready, and the nurses and everybody were getting around her, and I held her on my lap, and they gave her an IV, and they got her ready, and they said, okay, you can go to sleep. We're going to count backwards from 10, okay? And I was like, okay. And she's, okay. And they say, 10, 
nine. And Hannah goes, and I go, because everybody gathers around her and grabs her, picks her up, puts her on the table and takes her and shoes me out. And Peggy's like, what, what's going on? What happened? And I was like, they were supposed to go all the way down to one. (laughs) But to feel your child limp in your arms. Mm. And for the Shunammite woman, her son died. So when the miracle or blessing or gift or loved one or a relationship or something wonderful dies and reality becomes nightmare, what do you do? Pastor Julie, two weeks ago, had a whole list of ways people try to find refuge and escape reality. And that is an option, albeit a a bad one. Drugs, alcohol, destructive relationships, Netflix binging, Rocky Road ice cream, millions of internet paths that you can take that all lead to destruction. But the best any of them can offer is only temporary relief. So inevitably, when we experience loss or disappointment in one form or another, the question we eventually ask is, why? Why? I can offer a few answers. They may not help, though. Sometimes it's a result of our own selfish, sinful decisions or the people around us. And when we stand and look in the mirror and say, why? Sometimes it's our own fault. But we can learn from those decisions. Sometimes God just tests us. He wants to know whether that thing is more important to us than him. We see examples throughout the Bible, Abraham and Isaac, Job, to teach us a lesson. And it's not because he del- it delights him to annoy us, but it delights him to see us grow. In Romans 5, it says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Only in God's design can suffering lead to hope, right? When it's with the world, all they have is suffering and that's the end. But if we know God, it can lead to hope. Sometimes it's time just to move on. We see this in the characters of Elijah to Elisha, Moses to, Je- to Joshua, John the Baptist to Jesus. The people were in front They led the way, but it was time eventually to pass that leadership on. It was time for something new. And sometimes that's because for us, it's time for something new in our own lives. Sometimes, very specifically, it's for God's glory. In John 9, people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, who was it who sinned? Was it this blind man or was it his mom and dad? And Jesus said, neither this man nor the parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that sometimes we suffer just so that God could be glorified. Yeah. And as my catch-all answer, sometimes 
We just don't know why. It might be generations ahead that, that will benefit from our suffering now. We just don't know. But can it be okay? Can it? Recently, I read a book titled Unsinkable. And it's a true story about a 16-year-old girl who set out to sail by herself all around, all the way around the globe. Her name is Abby Sunderland from Thousand Oaks, California. You might have remembered her story from 2010. She grew up all around sailboats her entire life. In fact, the family lived on a sailboat for three years, sailing up and down the Mexican coast. And ever since Abby was 13, she had a dream of sailing around the world. Abby's father taught the entire family a deep respect for the sea. He said, all the ingenuity, all the high-tech gear, all the jury rigging that's sometimes necessary when you're out there alone on a boat in the middle of the ocean, sometimes the sea would rip it all away until there was only you, the creator, and his mercy. Despite that ominous lesson, Abby set off on January 23rd, 2010. For four and a half months, she sailed through the Pacific, the Atlantic, and then around the Horn of Africa into the Southern Indian Ocean. And in June, she found herself in a fierce storm that pitched her boat all directions and knocked her boat down multiple times, which means her mast was down in the water and came back up. So as she was battling a particular storm, she set the autopilot to so that her boat would heave to, which just means that it's a sailing technique that allows her boat to head into the wind and cross the waves in a certain way so that it would be a safer way to, to navigate the storm. So she went inside, down, down below to try and fix some of her broken equipment that the storm was throwing all around. And she suddenly found herself tossed to the side of the cabin, to the roof of the cabin, and slammed to the floor of her cabin. And she blacked out for a time. And when she came to, she realized what had happened. A rogue wave, a wave that's unpredictable, that appears out of nowhere in, during a storm, and it's a, a result of, of waves sort of piling up in the, in the exact right amount of uh, energy and form, and it's, in, it's not even navigable. It is, has tremendous power, and this rogue wave picked her boat up sideways as she was going up the side of this wave Gravity eventually caught up with her, flipped her boat upside down, and as her boat came around, the mast went into the, to the wave, and it snapped the 60-foot mast right off. And she realized what had happened when she came to. When things died down a bit, she, tried to, she went out her cabin door and realized the mast and, the, and the, what little bit was left of her sail and her rigging were, was just all over the top of her deck. In fact, that's a picture of it right there. No sail. Found herself powerless 2,000 miles away from any bit of land. Thankfully, her, but here's another thing. Her satellite phone, every bit of communication that she had except a, a, 
a short distance two-way radio, everything was gone. Her satellite radio, her, everything was broken. Her backup satellite radio, all she had was her emergency beacon. And the book talks about how she struggled with having to press that button, realizing that if I press this button, my, my dream of going around the world is over. Well, of course, that would have happened a long time before that when her mask broke off. But it was her decision at that moment. And the emergency beacon sent a signal up to the satellites and, that, and it allowed her to, the, her emergency signal to be received. She was rescued just 48 hours, which is incredible since the, uh, that horrible thing that happened to her. And the dream that she had for three years ended in what could have been much worse. For me personally, a big loss I suffered was when I was 19 years old. My father battled emphysema for many years, but was never a smoker. He passed away when, I, when he was 45, leaving my mom, my 15-year-old sister, 13-year-old brother, and me. And as I was thinking just a year or so ago, I realized, that's, that's how old I am right now. And my kids are about the same age as we were. So now everything I'm seeing from a year ago on, my dad never got to see. The loss of a parent at such a young age is truly a difficult thing from which to recover. Looking back though, my father did not really leave us alone. He had passed on his love for Jesus and the truth of God's love for our family despite my dad's absence. It wasn't easy at all. But looking back, it was clear that God was mindful of us as a family, which brings us up to the next portion of the story. Verse 22. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right. And if you're reading along in your Bibles, underline that, that's all right. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at the Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Go ahead and underline that too. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up 
and followed her. So now we're shown a bit more of the character of the Shunammite woman. But it's not immediately clear because at first glance, her initial responses to both her husband and, and Gehazi seem trite or even deceptive. The ESV translate her, translates her response as all is well. NASB and KJV says it is well. But as I dug deeper and found another translation, the Lexham Bible, English Bible says, here's how, what it says. Now please run to meet her and ask her, is it peace for you? Is it peace for your husband? Is it peace for the boy? And the Shunammite woman said, peace. Now we're getting somewhere. Because the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And you may know in Israel and Jewish people, they say shalom to greet each other, to say hello, good day, good night, see you later, God bless you. But there is a bit, there's a deeper meaning to the word shalom. A better translation might be, may you be well. To be well is, of course, to be whole and to be complete and to have all of our physical and spiritual resources sufficient to one's needs. Her gripping of Elijah's feet and declaring as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you is an oath to say, I don't know what else to do, but I'm coming to the one who's connected to God. Now we see her contentment revealed a little bit more during a very traumatic moment of her life. Maybe she committed Psalm 16 to memory. It was written by David not long before her time. Psalm 16, verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to you, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. She didn't have the benefit of this scripture written by Paul to the Philippians, but we do. Paul writes in Philippians 3, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whose sake, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So I think what Paul and what David and the Shunammite woman all realized is what Abby Sunderland's dad said. And that is when you're in a storm, when it comes to the trying times in life, sometimes the sea rips it all away and you're found 
with you, your creator, and his mercy. But that's not so bad. That's not so bad. Let's finish the story and see how it resolves. Verse 31. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on his bed, lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eye, hands to hands. He stretched himself on, out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. As the band, the worship band takes their place back around the campfire, I want to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to travel from Shunem to Mount Carmel. Not to meet with the man of God, Elisha, though. No. To grab the feet of the Son of God. The one Elisha paralleled to. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So I don't know where you are in your life right now. There are several states of being that you might have in relation to the story from today. For one, maybe you had hopes and dreams and desires that never materialized. And now, when you think about them, all they are is just disappointments. But you can't bring yourself to say, I have a home among my own people. You can't say, it is well. You can't say life is good. You can't say I'm content. I'm going to encourage you to come down. Walk down to Mount Carmel. Grab the the feet of Jesus. Maybe your loved one, your dream, your gift, some kind of achievement that you went for, a relationship fell apart or is falling apart, it's on life support. It's sitting in your lap and you have to say goodbye because it's almost noon and you can't let go. Come on down. Your loved one or your dream or your gift or some achievement or something wonderful is gone. Maybe that's you. It may have happened last week or it may have happened 50 years ago and you are still shaking your fist at God 
because of what happened. You have no shalom. Everything is not all right. I'm gonna encourage you to come down. And as you're coming, I'm gonna give everybody online as well. If you're watching and maybe one of these calls has spoken to you and hits home with you, take a moment right now to reach out to the one who knows you the best, the one who's waiting to rescue you, the one who made you. It's just you and your creator and his mercy. The song the worship team's about to sing begins with the line, falling on my knees in worship. And as you come forward, if you, if you can comfortably do that, I'm gonna encourage you to do so, but if not, then fall the knees in your heart. Picture the Shunammite woman. So I don't know what God has for you as you return back to Shunem. But for Abby, when she finally made it back home she, and she wrote this book, here's what she said. I'm not the same person that set sail from Marina Del Rey on January 23rd, 2010. I have a lot different take on life than before. Alone with myself at sea for months, I learned who I am. I made some mistakes, but survived them and learned. I am 12,000 miles wiser, 12,000 miles more resilient, and I have 12,000 miles more faith in God. For me, my dad was never returned back to life. But as I said before, God kept us, our family, when I went married my wife, Peggy, I did get a dad, Tom Gayhart, who's been a great father-in-law. And although it wasn't the restoration of my own dad, he met the needs in a lot of ways that I needed to have met. So for you, I don't know. But if the, the Shunammite woman stayed in Shunam and got bitter or got angry and left her son and ended it then, she would have never known what God could do. So as you're thinking about this story today, and actually, Shunammite woman shows back up in a little epilogue in chapter 8 of 2 Kings. Elisha warns her and says, there's a famine coming. Move away. And so for seven years, she moved away. And her family was, was safe. So after those seven years, she came back. And as she was coming back to the king to sort of uh, get her affairs back in order because she'd been away from her land, what, who just happened to be in the king's court? Talking to the king was Gehazi. And Gehazi was telling the king about 
the things that, uh, what had happened with Elijah uh, in the past. And Gehazi looks and he says, and this is the woman I was just talking about where her son came back to life. And the king then took care of all of her legal matters for her right then and there and made sure that there was no concern that she had. So you see what happens when we trust, when we run to the one who is capable of rescuing? He really can truly rescue us. I don't know, maybe you haven't had something traumatic happen in your life, but it just may. And restoration may not occur if something's happened to you. It may not happen the way you want it to. You won't get back everything that you lost, maybe. Maybe you will. But whether you do or not, that's okay. Because it's still you, your creator, and his mercy. Amen? And as surely as the Lord lives, don't let go of them. Dear Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for this precious story of devotion to you. How someone can have peace in the midst of a storm. Help give us peace, Lord God. A peace that goes beyond the understanding of our, of our senses around us. Help us know and understand what you have for us and trust you when things don't make sense, when everything's falling apart, when the sea rips everything away. Remind us that it's you, me, and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. And thank you for being our rescuer. Thank you for letting us hold tight to your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come on down for more prayer, or if you feel like something more is spoken to you, you're welcome to do so.